Hey, listen, I wasn't here last week. Um, I was actually away in Singapore, and uh, Dale, who's uh, down on the sound desk, he's going to put up the first slide for me. So there's Pastor Nick, our senior pastor. Actually, this morning, Pastor Nick is in Bendigo at our other campus preaching up there. But uh, Nick and I spent five days in Singapore, and James and Wendy on the screen there with him, they're actually pastoring a brand new church. They've just planted a church of about 25 people, and they invited us to come over because they were having their official dedication and also James's induction as the pastor. Um, James and Wendy came to Australia uh, last year. In fact, they came during the schools program and uh, spent about a week with our team. They, they didn't do anything publicly, but they were, they were certainly around. Um, we spent some time with them as a team teaching some stuff. They came to our house for dinner. I cooked James and Wendy kangaroo. And their little boy, they got a little boy, Jameson. Jameson, the first thing he said to me when he saw me is, I remember your kangaroo. And he says, next time I come, I want more kangaroo. He quite liked kangaroo. Um, But anyway, so we met with them and we feel we've got like a real God-divine connection. They actually would really like some uh, input, mentoring. And so, you know, Pastor Nick's been doing some stuff with them already and uh, we just went over and were part of this incredible induction. So go to the next slide, you'll see they had 100 people at the actual official opening. But here's the interesting story. Um, in Singapore, you have to be registered as a church with the government. And they had been trying to get their registration through. Um, they actually consulted with someone who specialises in, in getting these registrations uh, through the proper channels. And that person initially said to them, you'll have no trouble, given all the, you know, ticked all the boxes, had everything organised. But the, about two days before Nick and I left, um, James sent us an email saying, our registration's been denied. We won't be able to actually function as a church. And so we weren't really sure what was going to happen when we got there. So we got there, and of course everyone was praying about it, not just myself and Nick, but also the whole team there. They'd been fasting over it. And... Their dedication was on Saturday, last Saturday. Well, Friday morning, they actually got an email saying, your church has now been officially registered. And the, the, the relief on the whole team, all 25 of them, they were really, they really believe that God's asked them to do this um, as a team, really, everyone involved. And so they had family members at this induction and it was a great feeling there. We were able to pray over them. Um, a number of different pastors from the local community were there to support them. Uh, I'll show you one more slide. Um, we, Nick and I actually spent, out of the five days we were there, we spent four days with them and their team doing a lot of teaching and training. And uh, this was actually taken um, immediately after their Sunday service. As I said, they get around 25 people. A lot of them are out of the universities. And um, the incredible thing is their spirit. They've got such a big heart. It re- they're just so passionate for Jesus. They really, they're trying to invite their friends. You know, I, I managed to do some Alpha training undercover. Um, Sue went back to work. So my wife works for Alpha here in Australia and she told the team there that Greg was working for Alpha Singapore undercover because uh, I actually run some Alpha training for them. But that's, that's most of the guys there. They're not all in that photo, but most of them are there. And um, we feel that we're going to have an con- ongoing relationship with them. They're actually coming here with some of those team members in June this year and they're going to spend about a week at Victory um, during History Makers Conference, so that's the youth conference, and uh, then they'll come here to Uni Hill and spend about a week here. So you'll get to meet James and Wendy and also a number of their team. 
So continue to pray for, for what they're doing. Their church's name is called Kingdom's Heart, and they, they really felt to actually call it something that reflects God's heart of love, of healing, of, of wholeness. And um, so we just praise God. We just feel that God's developing relationships with other churches globally. And uh, so that's where, that's where I was last Sunday. I was at their church. That photo was taken last Sunday. So I apologize I wasn't here. Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to talk a little bit today about our theme for the year. We haven't fully introduced it, but we're going to... This year, Pastor Nick, our senior pastor, he really felt to talk about God's favour. That'll be our theme for the year. And um, I want to talk... Actually, go to the next one. Yeah, I'm going to talk about how to live in God's favour this morning from Luke chapter 4. And we'll read, a, we'll read from sort of um, the first part of Luke chapter 4, but I want to hone in on one particular verse um, where Jesus talks about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. Favour is something that I suppose we all want. You want favour at work, you want favour favor in your family. When you don't get someone's attention or you don't get someone's recognition or acceptance or love, then you often feel like you don't have their favour. Now, when, when we talk about favour, I don't know if you ever met somebody who you think is very favoured by God. You ever met somebody like that? I have, I have someone in my family who the rest of the extended family say that person's really favoured by God. And in fact, they stir this person, I won't say who it is, is but they stir them so much, they, they use the phrase, hashtag blessed, towards him. So when, when, you, when you hear that phrase, hashtag blessed, it's like, you know, everything they touch goes well. Everything they put their hand to and their focus to, God seems to really anoint multiply, encourage, use them. Don't you hate people like that? Because that's not me. It's like a lot of work, a lot of effort to get the same sort of result. And so this year we're going to, our, our main verse actually this year will be from um, Psalms chapter 90 and verse 22 where it says, may the Lord give us his favour and bless the work of our hands. And so we'll do some teaching around that verse later on. But this morning I really wanted to talk about this idea. Well, what is God's favour and how do we live in it? I mean, how do, how do we actually get God's favour? And, you know, when, when we talk about the favour of God, what does that really mean? Now, Dale, show me, just show that first building. You know, go back to the, the first one with the sky photo in it. That's it. Early, uh, early last year, Sue and I went to Israel and we went to the village of Nazareth. And these days it's really a, a modern metropolis. But right sort of in the centre on this hill... Um, sort of the whole village is it goes it's all very hilly around Nazareth and it's modern apartments and shops and buildings and you know just like a regular normal city but sort of on one side of this one particular hill they've actually developed a first century village and so Sue and I went there with the tour group that we were on and this building you can see here is a photo of a synagogue that's been reconstructed so the words that we're about to read in Luke chapter 4 is a statement that made, is made by Jesus, but he makes it in a synagogue in Nazareth. Now it's not this synagogue, that synagogue's not there. This is like a reconstruction of a first century synagogue. But it's just, when Jesus says the words we're about to read, it's a very ordinary day. It was just a normal day. He was from Nazareth, he grew up in Nazareth, he had none, done no miracles that we know of, and in fact... We can say that with confidence because when he turns the water into wine in Cana, he says that's the first miracle that he does. And so 
There's about 6,000 people that lived in this village called Nazareth. There was nothing really special about it at the time. Jesus had been living there for around 30 years, so they knew, everybody knew him. You know, in a small town, everybody knows you. Sue and I used to live in a town of 5,000 people. Everybody knows you. You know everybody else. Everybody knew who Jesus was, but they didn't know him as Messiah. He had given no indication to that village of Nazareth of who he really was up until this moment. And what took place in that synagogue on a very ordinary Sabbath, just going through the rituals, going through the motions, a bit like us this morning, we got up, we come to church because we're devoted to God, we want to worship God, we want to hear God's word, we want to connect with each other as Christians and support one another. This is what was happening on this particular day in Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to synagogue. It wasn't the only synagogue actually in town. There are a number of synagogues. And the reason we know this, if you go to that, that next building slide, thanks Dale, this is inside that synagogue. A synagogue in the first century was lucky to fit in 150 people. They're not, build, not buildings like ours today. 150 people. So that there were a number of synagogues in Nazareth at the time. And whichever one that Jesus went to, um, he would have gone to probably regularly. But on the Sabbath, he's actually in a building exactly like this and the people are sitting around the walls as you can see there he is standing at the front when he's called to read the scriptures as we'll read in Luke chapter 4 in a moment but there's nothing to identify him as the Messiah up until this point nothing supernatural he's just a carpenter the son of Joseph who's also a carpenter he, he had some brothers so the brothers would have been known in town but there was nothing out of the ordinary on this particular day now, just like our church services, their synagogue services were pre-organised. So, you know, we have a run sheet here on, today. We have a run sheet about who's doing what. Um, people get assigned responsibilities months ahead. Well, in synagogue life, it was exactly the same. I mean, some people think that modern church, you know, there's too much organisation. Synagogue life was no different in actual fact. So most priests who ran synagogues were not full-time priests. They had other jobs regular jobs to get an income and so the priest for that synagogue or to take responsibility for that day was pre-assigned usually at least 12 months beforehand. Now I want you to follow me here because this is very important. There was nothing out of the ordinary of this pre-organized Sabbath service. So the priest who was running that service was already rostered on if you like to use our phrase probably 12 months before. The reader of the scriptures for that service for that Sabbath, was pre-organised months ahead. Jesus was already appointed to read those verses way before he actually stood up to read them. This is no accident that he reads that verse, but it's actually been organised months ahead. And the, the attendant or the assistant of the synagogue who's responsible to keep and maintain the scrolls. So, of course, they, don't, they didn't have books like we have. They had handwritten scrolls um, copies of the manuscripts that have been handed down from previous generations of God's Word. Now, in one scroll, often you couldn't fit a whole book. So, you can imagine on this particular day, Jesus is going to read from the book of Isaiah. But the book of Isaiah would have been more than one scroll. Not sure how many, but there would have been quite a few scrolls. So, the attendant, before their Sabbath service starts, has to organise which scroll is going to be read according to the reading list that's been pre-assigned. 
And so he sits it on a table on a bunch of other scrolls around Isaiah, but the attendant actually, and you read this, the attendant hands Jesus the right scroll for that reading. And Jesus has been pre-assigned months before to read this on this particular day. But here's the thing. The start of Luke chapter 4, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. He fasts for 40 days. The devil comes to him and tempts him. But the way Luke constructs the story is he focuses more on the Spirit's work. He actually says, well, the Spirit led him into the wilderness and then Luke gives us the account of what happened there with Jesus fasting for 40 days, then the devil coming with specific temptations. But then it actually says, in fact, why don't we read it? If you look at Luke chapter 4, if you look at verse, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to Jordan. Now, I don't know the last time you attempted, at the end of it, were you filled with the Holy Spirit? But he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he goes back to Jordan. So that's where John the Baptist was, the baptisms were taking place. And then it says, he was led into the spirit, oh, sorry, spirit into the desert for 40 days and that's when he was tempted. Now if you go down to verse 14, Jesus returns to Galilee. So that's the area he was living in Capernaum, which is in Galilee. Galilee's an area. In the power of the Spirit, and news started to spread about him through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, it's prearranged, doesn't say that, but we know that through historical records of how these services were arranged. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. Now, not by chance, he's pre-assigned. The scroll of the prophet was handed to him, not by chance, pre-arranged. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Now, let me pause there. In those ancient scrolls, there's no spaces between the letters. There's no punctuation. They didn't have punctuation as we understand it. No full stops, no sentences. Some scrolls didn't even have vowels. So, in fact, in Hebrew, um, they, use, they use consonants and they use what they call dot points above those consonants, little symbols above consonants to give it the vowel sound. And so Jesus actually finds the right section to read, but can you imagine doing that? You have to lead, read from right, uh, yeah, right to left, and there's no punctuation, there's no verse. He doesn't find a verse reference on top of the Scripture like we do. He finds this particular verse in a jumble of words, if you like, and he reads this straight from Isaiah. In fact, it's an exact quote. Not one word's changed, it's just that in, in, in the New Testament it's written in Greek, in Isaiah 61 it's written in Hebrew, but it's the exact same phrases. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is anointed, oh, sorry, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of of the Lord's favor. Now, the year of the Lord's favor is a is an illusion, or it's like a an allegory for something that the Israelites have been practicing for centuries. It was called um, the year of jubilee, and sometimes it was called the acceptable year of our Lord. So you'll read that in the Old Testament, um, but it's the same idea, same phrase. And what what would happen is every fifty years the whole culture would reset itself by forgiving each other. So if you're, if you're a slave 
on the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favour, you'd be set free. Can you imagine being, a, being owned by somebody else and then if you get to, 50, you know, get to that 50th year, you're set free. You're a free person. Another thing they would do if you had financial debt, the person who you owed the money to had to forgive and release you from that debt. You never had to pay it back. The third thing they would do in the year of the Lord's favour, the Jubilee year, is well actually if your family lost land through a bad deal, that land had to be returned to you from the person who had taken over your family land. And so when Jesus mentions this, this is actually not in the year of Jubilee, but when he says the year of the Lord's favour, he's talking about things are going to change from this day on. No longer do you have to wait for a 50-year block for freedom, for liberty, for forgiveness, for restoration, for redemption. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim the favour of God. It's the year of the Lord's favour. And so on this particular routine Sabbath service, something happens. Because listen to what happens next. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. But the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, now this is, this is really the clincher, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now here's what I think happens when God's favour comes. When there's been a prophecy or a word spoken over our lives, so like the prophecy about Jesus, and the fulfilment of that word collide in time. There's a collision that takes place here that the people sitting in the, the 150 odd people sitting in that synagogue just thought Jesus was going to read the text like he probably had done before. He was a rabbi, got assigned to read occasionally, so that's what he did. But in actual fact, what they didn't know is the reader was the one the words were written about. They had no idea, but it's the way he said it that all eyes were fixed on him. And then he actually tells them, well, actually today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. As you hear these words, I'm this person, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to set people free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. See, that's, I think when, you know, thinking of our lives, I know there would be, you would be people here that you felt the Lord has spoken to you whether it's through prophecy, someone's given you a word, and it just hasn't come to pass. But I think this year there's going to be some real significant, unexpected breakthroughs that take place in all of our lives because we want the Lord's favour. Now, we do have some of the favour of the Lord already, and I'm going to show you how that works in a moment, but we want the favour resting on us. So how do you get it? So let, first, let me tell you what favour is. So go to that slide. Thanks, Dale. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. But let's talk about what is favour. How do you define it? Favour is actually God's acceptance. It's God's approval of me and of you. It, but listen, it includes special benefits, blessings, hashtag, that come through our relationship with him. You cannot have the favour of God without a relationship with him. 
So think of the people you're in relationship with today. If you have a very close relationship, there are benefits. There is, they give you favour. They will drop things to come to you. They will sacrifice things to help you. You actually have people's favour, but it's because you're in relationship with him. So you can't have the favour of God without being in relationship with Jesus. It's just not possible. It's, it's absolutely Jesus wants to favour everybody, but unless you're in relationship with Jesus, you don't get the benefits of that relationship. It's really, it's really that simple. It's about developing, deepening, maturing in our relationship with Jesus, who is the anointed one to bring God's favour on the earth. Favour is no longer just you know, given for a specific task in a specific time and, that, and then it shuts off, which is really almost the Old Testament way it happened. But with Jesus, when he stood up to read these words, he was proclaiming that now every day is the year of favour. Every day is the year of jubilee. I'm actually coming to set people free. And if people respond to that freedom, then they have the favour of God. Now, favor, the, the words favor in Hebrew and in Greek, you can translate them a number of different ways, actually, because you can translate the same word as grace, mercy. Um, I've also got their gifts, so charius or char- charismata, if you know a bit of Greek. The word charismata or charismatic is where we say someone's gifted by God to do something. It's the same word. It's just translated slightly different depending on the context to give it the full meaning in that place. And the reason why it's translated in English as favour in Luke 4.19 is because that's exactly what it means. But it's so intertwined and interlinked with grace, mercy, gifts, giving. That's what favour is in the kingdom of God. God wants us to give us his grace, mercy, gifts. He's always giving to us. We know he does that through the Holy Spirit. But favour is the demonstrated delight of God. So in the Old Testament, it's often translated, the Hebrew word, sometimes favour, but also delight. God delights over us. Same word, favour. He sings over us. And so it's actually, it's the tangible evidence that I have a relationship with God because of the benefits that are coming from my relationship with him. It's purely given to me. I can't earn it. There's nothing I can do to get God's favour It comes through Jesus Christ and my relationship with Jesus, my ongoing relationship with Jesus. I can't impress God. I can't say, God, well, I did this, so you should do this for me. That's not how it works. It's purely at the mercy. Sometimes that's another word that's translated from the same word that we get favour in English from. It's at his mercy that he gives it, at his grace. But listen, God wants to give us his favour. But there's only one way to get it, and that's through Jesus. But it's open to everybody. It's a free, open invitation to everybody. So let me, let me go on to the next thing. How do we get God's favour? I'm going to tell you three things that I see partly from, from these verses here today. Number one, I think you get God's favour when you leave your brokenness. You know, some people hang on to their wounds, their struggles, their difficulties... And you actually use them as a barrier to keep God out. Now, you, if you don't consider yourself a Christian or you're not, under, you're not sure about what it means to follow Jesus and to be in relationship with Jesus, 
all it really takes is for you to investigate who Jesus is. And we can help you do that. Um, I'll show you. I'll give you some stuff later on at the end of the service today. But it doesn't take much to at least start the journey towards investigating who Jesus is and beginning to know what he says about your life, our lives, and that he invites us because he forgives us, accepts us the way we are. Now, if, you're, if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, I think we have to be very careful not to carry our brokenness as a barrier to keep God at a certain distance. Now, let's look at the text again. So if we go back to Luke chapter 4, look what Jesus says straight from Isaiah, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me, listen to these words, to preach the good news to the poor. So if you, you don't mind highlighting, underline the word poor in your Bible. Poor, to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom, prisoners, so underline the word prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, underline the word blind, and to release the oppressed, underline the word, I'm getting tongue-tied here, underline the word oppressed. They're not just literal, these words have a double meaning, poor, blind, prisoner, oppressed. Now they're literal in the original language, so Jesus actually did heal blind people, prisoners were set for, I mean there's literal, but it's also an allegory. In other words, it's not just literal, it has a deeper meaning that you can be poor. So here's the irony. You can call, say that you're a Christian, you could be a Christian 20 years, but you can be poor in spirit because you're carrying your brokenness. You're not letting it go. And you use it to actually stay where you are. You're happy to accept Christ at a certain, you know, almost to a certain length, but your brokenness... If you carry your wounds, the rejections you've suffered in the past, the disappointments, the frustrations, if you carry them and treasure them, then you can't let God into that space because you're putting that before God. Now, in Christian language, we call that an idol. but That can be a bit of a scary term, but it simply means something that you put in front of God. And God can't, God's not going to barge his way in. He's going to wait for you to actually release your brokenness. And I think what happens here, if you really want the favour of God, if you want to live in God's favour, not just this year, but every day of your life, then you have to say, am I carrying some wounds that, that I've purposely using them to keep God at a distance? Or is, is, am I letting Jesus and his spirit really invade every part of my being, every part of my thinking, my heart? Does God really have my heart? Or is, is my bruising, broken woundedness, do I treasure that more than my relationship with God? And so we have to, it's time for us to leave our brokenness to have the favour of God. Now, if you're a Christian and you've confessed your sins, you're following Jesus, you have God's favour. But the depth of God's favour is dependent on the relationship that you have with Jesus. I mean, you see that with the disciples. So. The, the, the actual 12, the 72, the, the, sorry, the 70. So, of course, you know, Jesus took, you know, uh, Peter, John and James, just three of them sometimes, very close. And in fact, even in, in Scripture, it says, well, John was the closest out of all of them. So how close can we get to Jesus? But that's often dependent upon us today. And so to me, when I, again, let's read, the, let's read this sent, these sentences again. 
Luke 4 verse 18 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach. Now underline these words. Good news. Good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim, that means to declare, or we get the word in English preach, to declare or proclaim freedom. God wants us to be free. He's got good news for us. Even if you've been a Christian 30, 40 years, if you're hanging on to something, he wants to give you new sight. You know, when Jesus is talking to the... It's quite funny when... Well, I think it's funny. You know, Jesus heals the blind man. You read it in John, John's Gospel. And the Pharisees are so annoyed because he did it on the Sabbath. And they're so annoyed with him that he did that. Jesus actually... I'm paraphrasing here, but he says to them, well, who's really blind, you or them? That, that man maybe have not been able to see visually before I healed him because they sort of grilled Jesus about what he did. But he really says to the Pharisees, but you're more blind than he ever was. So it's not just blindness, it's not just a physical thing, it can be, and Jesus can heal that. But blindness can be a spiritual blindness. And you think that you're following God, as the Pharisees did, but we're spiritually blind. So you have to, you know, I think God, focus on the words freedom, good news. That's what Jesus wants to bring into our hearts, into our lives. That's the favour of God. And he, God... God anointed Jesus to actually bring favour to us. And that's the second point. Go to that next, that next slide. Thanks, Dale. He says in the start of verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me. No other person could bring God's favour onto humanity. Only Jesus could do that. He, I mean, we were singing about it. We were singing about our Lord. Do we know him as Saviour? We sang that this morning. I don't know if you picked up that word. Then we were singing about um, my confidence that I'm still in his hands. He can still move mountains. I felt that was almost a spiritual prophetic declaration for some people today, that you feel like God has not moved the mountain for you. But in actual fact, we're still in his hands. People who had God's favour in all of Scripture... So either before the covenant we have through Jesus, if you go back to the old covenant, people like Moses, Joseph, I mean Esther, name anybody that we would consider had God's favour. They still had trials and difficulties. They still suffered injustices. God's favour, you don't equate it with a lack of suffering or a lack of injustice. So in actual fact, it's God's favour on Joseph that made him the target from his brothers. So I think sometimes we forget only Jesus can bring us God's favour and it's our relationship with him. It, 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 we don't earn it. We're, we're not, you, know, you don't get points from God by coming to church. But you know what you do? You put yourself in the place to hear his voice and allow his spirit to minister to you. That's what you do. That, you're putting yourself in a position to receive some more favour from God. That's why we gather together. It's not out of routine. We're not trying to be religious. We are trying to follow and pattern our lives after Jesus Christ and be totally, here's one of my favourite words for my Christian life. I want to be devoted to God. You know when you're devoted to someone? You always want to be with them. You know when I first met Stu, I stalked her. This is pre-stalking laws, thank goodness. But I was so devoted to being with her, she couldn't get rid of me. And I'm not exaggerating. When you're devoted to somebody, that's what you like. You know, and we, we, we might say that, oh, yeah, I'm devoted to God. 
but we think that's being religious. The religiosity is not devotion to God. Devotion is a heart issue. It actually comes from here. And that's why, you know, Joseph, in all of his turmoil and suffering and injustice, he had a devotion to God. He didn't blame God for what happened, but God favoured him because of his heart, not because of anything that he did. He didn't earn anything. David, he was favoured by God because of his heart. So, you, you know, if you want God's favour, you've got to let your brokenness go. Don't hang on to it. It's, it's just... It's just it's going to suffocate the spiritual life out of you. It'll choke you. And if you want God's favour, well, it's time to follow Jesus or, or live in Jesus is probably the phrase that I wanted to use today. Not live in yourself. Not just live according to whatever comes into your head, what our culture tells us to do. Don't live according to the norm. Live according to the way Jesus would live. And that takes some courage. That takes sacrifice. Sometimes you have to give up your own values, your own opinions, your own, I suppose, past of what's been told about how to get through life because all of a sudden you read something in the Word that is so opposite what you thought was the right thing to do in that scenario or in that circumstance. And all of a sudden you find you have to forgive someone who has wounded you deeply. But that's how you follow Jesus. That's how you live in Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And listen to the rest of it. Some of you all know this. He says, whoever remains in me and I in them, then they'll bear fruit. You see, we have to live in Jesus 24-7. You know, as soon as you take back authority to do what you want to do, that is anti-Christ, that is anti what Jesus has taught us and Jesus has commanded us to do and live, then you, you're wounding yourself and you're actually keeping Jesus out. You know, we, we, I mean, when I grew up in church life in the 80s, and Antichrist was mentioned every second week um, about other things, end times and stuff. But Paul actually says in one of his letters, the spirit of the Antichrist has been with us really since Jesus was, was um, ascended into heaven. So it's not just a person, you know, I don't want your end times, I'm not going to get end times, but it's not just a person. We've got to be careful that we don't enact something that's anti-Jesus in our hearts. We have to be right in with Jesus. We have to be so close to him that if he convicts us, rebukes us, encourages us, speaks to us, we hear him and we actually respond. That's what it means to live in Jesus. That's what it means to be in his, he's the vine and we are the branches. I have to remain in him. That's the command. So I, when I read that, I think, well, actually, I can cut myself off him sometimes. And probably like everybody else, being guilty of doing it by having my own opinions and not sacrificing my own, really, my own stupidity. So I think I'm right. You ever had an argument, God? You can't win, right? But yeah, he loves me so much. He wants to give me his favour. So you know, when I, was, when I was preparing this message and I was reading over and over again those words of Isaiah that Jesus quotes as the, sort of the start of his ministry and he's around 30 years old, what I saw is this. God wants to favour broken people. And we think, here's the problem, we think that if I hang on to my brokenness, it gives me some recognition for the horrible thing that happened to me and that was unjust and that person shouldn't have done that 
You know, I'm sure you've never been wounded by another Christian, but I have occasionally. You know, we, we've got all these reasons in our head why to hang on to it, but in actual fact, God favours people who are broken. That's how I read the scriptures. He's always on the side of the wounded person. But there are plenty of wounded people that came to Jesus but wouldn't do what he asked them to do, wouldn't have a relationship with him. So the rich young Jewish lawyer who knew all the law of the Old Testament and all the rabbi laws that were written after the Old Testament, he, the, he, that, that young man knew it, but Jesus saw his heart. So when he says, well, what do I have to do? Jesus said, sell everything and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Well, the guy couldn't do it because his heart was in his riches. So you have to be in Christ. I have to live. I have to leave my brokenness because God favours people who are suffering. He's ready to give them their favour. But the way you get it is you've got to give up that very thing that you think, I mean, it's interesting what Samuel said, that gives you identity. You think it gives you identity, your brokenness. It doesn't. It'll kill you. It'll drain the little bit of life you've got left. But if you give it up, and, and, and really it's an ex- to me I see it as an exchange. I give up my fallen, broken, you know, my stupidity, my hurts, my wounds. I give them up, but I exchange them for what God wants to give me. And there's the words in the text, freedom, release, good news. It's an exchange that takes place, but I can't exchange just a little bit. I've got to give it all up to get all the favour of God. Not through earning it, but just through giving God permission to be the master of my life, to, to be subservient to his will and his instructions for living. So here's the third thing. The last thing I want to tell you. I think you get God's favour through, obviously, living in God's principles, his commands, his directions. Um, the more you live in according to the way God has designed us to live, the more favour you experienced. It was already there for you, but it's like you actually step into it more and more and it becomes more real to you. So I'm not de- this is not about deserving it, but see, God responds to the heart of people. And what I think, for instance, let's take, just mention a couple of principles of God's word. So things like not forsaking the fellowship. It's actually coming together with other Christians. Uh, Things like forgiving those who have hurt you. Things like show mercy and compassion to one another. Things like bear one another's burdens. Now, I couldn't think of a better word. Principles is a bit of a dry word. I apologise. Sue and I were having this discussion yesterday. I was trying to find a better word. I'm sure someone will give me one after this though. But what I mean is when you live out the principles, so forgiveness, coming together, mercy, Burning, taking other people's burdens. When you live that out, you're living out God's word from your heart. And God's very interested in your heart. He's not interested in how much you do. But he's, he's even in hundreds of scriptures that talk about God judges the heart. God sees the heart. So I want God's word living in my heart and flowing out of my heart And I do it by actually following his life principles. That's actually how I get to experience more of God's favour. By living in him, by following his word or let his principles 
See, I, I don't think God favours people. God favours his principles. He doesn't favour people. Now, he calls people to do certain things, absolutely. And he graces them to do those things, absolutely. But God favours when someone takes his word to heart and becomes devoted to him. And that's how you encounter the favour of the living God. It's about your heart connected to his heart. I mean, I see that God had a heart for the poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed. That's God's heart. God's heart is for people like you and me who don't see ourselves as worthy or could amount to much or, you know, what, whatever's gone on in, in your life and whatever's happened in my life. God wants to give us his favour and we can live in his favour every day by doing just those three things. Live out his principles and you experience his favour. Live in Christ all the time. Keep that relationship with Jesus really close and you'll experience his favour. That's how it works. So it's not about trying to do more, be better, pray. You know, I'm not a person that's into, I call them more sermons. How many sermons you heard where someone says, just read the Bible more, read more, read more? And I sit there and think, well, I've read quite a bit of it and that, that, that didn't help me. For what you're talking about, didn't help me. Or you hear people say, witness more, witness more. You've got to get out there and evangelise more. There's all these more sermons. But listen, it comes from the heart, right? It's not, we're not trying to impress God. He's not, he's not someone who judges us according to just what we do, but he sees our innermost thoughts and the condition of our soul and he's responding out of his love by granting us his favour, his acceptance, his approval. We get incredible benefits by being in relationship with God. So if you're sick, you can be healed. If you're broken, you can be restored. Those words that were spoken over you, that, you know, again, that song, we move the mountains. Well, he can move, he'll move those mountains. He may not do it when and how you expect, but he'll do it. If he said something to you, he'll do it. That's our confidence. We're still in his hand. I'm still in relationship with him. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not living out of reaction to my circumstance and I'm not living out of reaction to my expectations. I'm living out of my heart that is devoted to a God who loves me so much. He sent his only son who was anointed to set me free. The only one that could do it. I can't set myself free, but if I follow Jesus and I'm filled with the spirit of the living God, he continues to give me his favour. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited. You know, all the preaching in the world that I do does not impress God. This is not, some people think you're doing public ministry is the goal. It's not. I'm a follower of Jesus just like you are. Eugene Peterson has a great phrase. He says, in the, in, in the kingdom of God, we're all beginners as followers of Jesus. We all make mistakes. We all have to follow the same God in the same way, regardless of what he calls us to do and where we fit in his kingdom. But we're all disciples, myself included. I, I, I stuff up. I have to ask God to forgive me just like everybody else. Being up here does not make me perfect. I hope you never get that impression. But my heart is after the God whose heart was for me. That's what drives God. He has a heart for you. And your pain is not worth hanging on to. And living in Christ is where true freedom is. 
and following his principles, his word, every day, even when you think it doesn't make sense or you find it's very hard to get the energy to actually obey it because you think your idea is better. That's, then you experience more of the favour of God. The favour of God is not a lack of injustice or suffering. It's the acceptance of God who created all things and sustains even your breath. Every part of your being is sustained by the God who sent his son Jesus Christ. And that's the favour we have. We will experience breakthrough this year. I believe with all my heart that there'll be some significant turnarounds in some people's lives who are connected to our churches. You know, we have three campuses, another few churches in relationship with us. But I, I really, I feel in my spirit that what the Lord spoke to Pastor Nick is something that God wants us to really study, understand and obey. If you want the favour of God, then live a devoted life that keeps you in relationship with that God. Good or bad circumstances, whether you think it's going to work or not going to work, do it. Because the favour of God is not withheld from us, it's already been given. I love the way, in fact, First Peter, um, Peter puts this phrase, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We've already got it. We've got the favour of God. Now, can I have the worship team come up? I'm going to wrap this up. I think favour is where limitations are broken, your heart is restored, your thinking gets changed, you know, you renew your mind. I think favour is when you've had a word from God and you think that God has forgotten you. I, I feel that that's a word for some people today. You think God has forgotten you, but he has not forgotten you. In fact, when, when we'll sing that song about he can move mountains, in fact, we'll, we'll, sing that, we'll, we'll finish with that song, guys. But when, when we're singing that, I felt there are people here, all you can see at the moment is the mountain. You can see that blockage, that stumbling thing, that thing of pain, and you feel that God is not going to take it away. But I believe God's going to take it away from you. Now, how and when, I, I, we don't know. But our confidence, if, listen to this. If God sent his only son to give us his favour, why would he not move the mountain that's in your way? Why would he stop all of a sudden actually coming to our aid and assistance? It's it's inconceivable that a God of love and mercy, where Jesus put himself on that cross to forgive our sins and to put us in right relationship with God, would then suddenly withhold his favour. He's not like an earthly father or an earthly parent. God is a God of love, pure love. We make mistakes, He doesn't. He's always there to uplift and forgive and support us. I, I, I sort of had a vision before. In fact, why don't you stand as we... I'm going to bring this to a close. But I had a picture before in my mind of the vastness. In fact, just close your eyes for a minute. Just... Just see this picture with me as I give you some, a description. I think sometimes we're standing in, it's like a, hundreds of kilometres of flat land. It's vast. It's enormous. But we are looking down and all we see is where we currently stand. And because our focus is just on that one piece of land that we're standing on 
And I believe that God's saying we just have to lift up our head, our vision, because there's all this other vastness that He has for us in front of us. And us standing here and being either afraid to move or being unwilling to move, if if, if we stay there, then you're going to miss out on everything else that's in front of you. The vastness of God is the blessing and the favour of God. God wants to give us more than we can think, ask or imagine, Paul says. That's the God that we have. Now, if, if you feel that those words have spoken to you, so either what you've heard from the Word of God or that, that little picture that I just gave, why don't you just come forward right now? Just come forward. Don't wait. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like there's a mountain in your way. You feel like you just can't move your feet from where you are. I just want to, I'm going to pray over you to bless and encourage you that actually this year you'll experience God's greater favour. It's always been there, but you are going to access a new depth of your relationship in Jesus Christ. You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and there'll be breakthrough in your life. I know there's, there's, there's other people here. You feel that God's speaking to you. I want you to come out. Come out right now. Come on. I know there's quite a few more. And it's not me. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Come on. Still stands. There's a few more. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Thank you. Come out. Still in your hands. Don't be afraid. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. If you're with us and you don't know what it is to follow Jesus. I've been talking about a relationship with Jesus. We've, we've got a little pack here. It's, there's a booklet on who Jesus is. We give you a copy of the scriptures which contain the record of Jesus' life and his teachings. We want to give this to you. No obligation. I'm not asking you to join this church, connect to our denomination. What I'm asking you is if you've never made a commitment to investigate who Jesus is and you want to do that, from what you've heard today, then I just want to give this into your hands because I want to encourage you. We'll help you to investigate who Jesus is if you want to. There's no obligation. Is there someone here today? The very first time, just put your hand up and we're going to have our host give you one of these. Free, obligation. Anyone here? thing to put your hand up if you would rather just come and chat to me or Samuel you saw on the stage or Charles is at the front here after the service we'll still give you one and help you understand who Jesus is I'm going to, I'm going to close the service now I really want to feel the, to sing this song again and can I have the ministry team come out and just help me pray as well so let's sing together may the Lord bless you don't head off after the service hang around have a coffee and chat to someone